0: John, chapter 4, verses 14 through 19. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how we This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. The word of the Lord. It's been a while, it's been a while, I've been gone for the last three weeks, and it is so good to be back, I feel like there's so many things we need to catch up on, I leave for a little while, and the, the, the sanctuary is looking completely different, um, and, uh, and a lot's happened. So uh, if it's alright, I want to share a few stories from my recent experience um, to tie into our sermon today. Um, And again, we're continuing on this series of uh, exploring Adventist theology through this book, God With Us, by uh, uh, Adventist theologian John Peckham. Um, And I'm going to start us off with a story that's a little bit heavy, uh, but I don't want to leave you all in suspense or worry you too much, so I want to let you know that there's a happy ending to the story. Um, But uh, back uh, on uh, the weekend of October 8th, Okay, which uh, is the same weekend that the, the crisis in Gaza kind of uh, uh, accelerated. Um, of course, there were things going on long before October 8th there. But um, the weekend of October 8th, I was in Kansas City for a friend's wedding. And uh, I, it was on a Sunday. I had some time to spare before the wedding started. So I went to the local library to get some work done. This, uh, this library, it was a beautiful day out, the uh, sun was out, it was warm. The library, uh, I discovered, had a rooftop study area um, that was open air outside. And so I went up there, thought it would be a great place to work for a little while, pulled out my laptop, uh, found a bench kind of in the corner and started doing some, some work. Um, and as I was starting to finish up, I, I noticed uh, kind of a middle-aged guy in a hoodie Come out and uh, sit down on the floor next to the rail, uh, not very far away from me. Um, and he seemed like a little bit agitated. I didn't, uh, uh, I didn't think much of it. Uh, you know, here in New York on the subway, you see all kinds of things, and it's no big deal. Um, but uh, but I noticed him out of the corner of my eye, and I kept putting my stuff away. And uh, and right as I was putting my laptop away, he he stood up and he turned to the rail, and he put one of his legs over the rail. <clears throat> and so I, at that point, I wasn't 100% sure what was going on, but it didn't look good. And my first instinct was like, I just want to get out of here. Um, but it was only him and me on the roof. And uh, so, um, I, you know, I did take a pastoral care class with a few uh, conversation skills, listening skills um, in it. And uh, so, so I, I just I walked up to the rail, about eight feet away from him, and uh, just sort of uh, tried to make some contact, see how he was doing, um, and then that's when it became like crystal clear what he was trying to do because he said, he said, uh, just one step and it's all over, uh, and uh, so I was I was very nervous, very stressed. Um, didn't know exactly what to do but I just tried to do some reflective listening and uh, you know asked what was going on and he just said he's experiencing a lot of pain his whole life is pain Um, he didn't have any family anymore and he uh, uh, he was just uh, done living was harder than um, than the, the alternative um, and it was uh, we spent a few minutes there me just trying to to get from him what, what's really going on in his life and, and to try to remind him of anything beautiful in his life um, and it was at that point that I was, I was kind of relieved uh, a young girl and her mother came up onto the roof and came over to look over the rail and see um, just see the view uh, and so that was kind of a distraction it broke both of us out of it and, uh, and then I don't know if the mother noticed what was going on or not but after a few moments they left and uh, he pulled his leg back over the rail um, and then, then he went over to another side and we, we talked for a few more minutes um, again just, just trying to pull out anything, anything beautiful in his life. And, uh, in the end, uh, he, he kind of gave up on the idea of, of jumping and he went back inside the, uh, the building where security was waiting to escort him down. Um, and that, so that situation, first time it's ever happened to me, um, I don't know if any of you have experienced something like that before, but uh, I was kind of high on adrenaline after that. Um, I was like... F- I was feeling really good, I was excited, this, it felt like I had been a part of something meaningful and um, like I had made a difference in the world. Um, and so I started looking up uh, like jobs, like can someone do this for a job? Is there like a negotiator kind of position that you can do? How often do situations like this actually happen? Like you see it happen in the movies, but is that actually a feasible career path? Is that something you can train for, you can do? Um, And so as I was reading up, um, I I started reading not only about like suicide negotiations but also about hostage negotiations and just all of these kinds of crisis situations that require negotiation. Um, And as I was reading, I discovered that uh, the general consensus is that usually someone in a situation like this, whether it's suicide or or hostage, um, they feel like the the victim, right? Like, they're all alone, they're isolated, they're not uh, in community with anyone else, and this is like a last resort situation. Uh, This is, um, they're desperate. They're desperate. Um, And so one of the first responsibilities of a negotiator is to create that connection, to connect with them. And help a person to realize that they aren't alone, that someone else can relate to them, can be there with them, in that moment. But it, it struck me how how yeah how being in this kind of situation of feeling isolated, feeling alone, feeling like you are not receiving anything, uh, any help, any hope uh, can drive people to desperate measures. Um, So so today we're we're continuing on this series about God with us, um, looking at Adventist theology uh, through the lens of this this text, Um, and today's chapter is titled Life and Death, Uh, Life and Death, Human Freedom, Sinfulness, and Conditional Immortality. Um, I started us off with this story of a a crisis that's born out of disconnection and and the main question that I want us to ask uh, while during our time together right now is what is the root cause of this kind of desperation? What is really at the core of the problem that that, uh, I witnessed in Kansas City um, that we're seeing all over the world? Uh, We have the example of, of Gaza being isolated, right? Um, we have uh, many other crises, of course, uh, Ukraine and elsewhere. Um, and more locally, you know, it's November 2023, a year away from the next presidential election, which is sure to be a stressful situation. Um, uh, we're here in New York, it's busy, it's hectic. Uh, I, I had a meeting this last week with the uh, spiritual life advisors at NYU, and we went around and kind of everyone's emotional well-being and pretty much everyone was talking about how they're just at the end of their rope. Like, people are exhausted, drained, burnt out, tired. Students are trying to finish the semester and uh, it's incredibly difficult. Uh, and for those of us that aren't in school, just working, right? I mean, you know, you know what it's like. Sometimes it feels like we're drawing from nothing, like we're at the bottom of the barrel. Um, and our own finiteness, our own limited capacity is in stark relief. So why is this? Why, what, what is the root cause that brings us to this place of desperation, of, of being at the end of our rope? Um, I would say that a lot of things in this world turn us off to the idea of love, Uh, make us doubt that real genuine love, unselfish love is actually possible. We see all these crises, we see all these terrible things going on and it makes it hard for us to believe that love is real, much much less that that we could be loved or that we could be in a real uh, genuine loving relationship. Maybe maybe even at church. you're getting burnt out. I know here we have tons of volunteer needs. So many of you are helping out, volunteering, uh, and, and maybe you're feeling like you can't do that much more. Um, maybe, maybe you're also seeing things in church, locally or globally, uh, that are just like values you don't really agree with or things that, that uh, you wish were, were happening differently. And it feels like I'm, I'm about ready to unplug from this whole church situation. Or maybe you're personally affected by one of these crises. We have Palestinians and Jews in this very congregation. We have Russians and Ukrainians. We have people from dozens of nationalities, ethnicities, races uh, all going through uh, some kind of trauma and many of us uh, may actually have have lost someone personally recently. And I know this is a beautiful community. And most, if not all of us, believe that the loss for one of us is a loss for all of us. And so we're mourning together with everyone who is mourning uh, right now. But all of these things just continue to tempt us to give up on the idea of uh, the very possibility of good news. right? That the Christian gospel is what it says it is. That love, real love exists and that we can actually rely on. Someone else's love. So, what does uh, Adventist doctrine, what does the Bible, what does this this book have to say about about this? Um, The three the three uh, sort of doctrines that this chapter touches on are are free will, sin, and conditional immortality. Uh, I just want to do a quick summary of those uh, and of sort of the Adventist perspective on those uh, before continuing to dig into this question and what they what they say about the question so the Adventist understanding of conditional immortality excuse me is inherently relational Uh, life in Adventism is relational Um, human life depends on a connection to the Creator God Without that connection, life eventually ends completely. Uh, In in Adventism, there isn't this idea that the the soul goes on forever, independently, no matter its connection to God. Uh, In Adventism, the idea is that without that connection to God, everything dies. Uh, And that's sort of the idea of conditional immortality. Being cut off from God means the end of life. Uh, regarding free will, Adventism is a religion of consent, uh, a, a framing that I really appreciate. Um, but it's just the idea that humans do have a choice in the process. You know, some, some uh, Christian backgrounds uh, focus on God's role, uh, sometimes to the exclusion of the human side, and, and others focus on the human side, sometimes... And this is a heresy, and, and not so common in most Christian circles, but sometimes to the exclusion of like any help from God. Uh, Advent, Adventists uh, try to combine both, right? Like, we need divine aid, but human choice is still a key part of that process. And so since life is inherently relational, and without God, life ends, And since humans have a choice in the process, that affects our understanding of sin being whatever works toward the end of life, towards ending, stopping life, right? Which in our context means injuring, harming, damaging relationship. Uh, Sin is anything that harms relationship. Anything that causes relational injustice, you could say. Now, we often, we often say, and, and this, this sermon is going to be kind of simple, but we often say that like, the solution to this is love, right? Like the solution to the sin problem, the guiding ethic of Christianity is love, to love, um, to be in loving relationship with God and with our human family. And that's not, that's not wrong. But when I was reading this, this book, I, uh, Peckham impressed me with a particular perspective on this that, that I hadn't focused on enough, I think. Uh, when we're asking what really drives us to this kind of despair that is like the root of all of our problems. The answer is love, but, but I think I want to I focus on a nuanced version of that. In this, in, this, uh, in this chapter, Peckham writes, humans can reject God's love, but to reject God's love itself is evil. He goes on, he says, sin separates us from God, repelling love and fracturing relationships. So I I want you to focus on this right now. These words, reject, rejecting love, repelling love. The point that Peckham is making here is that the starting point of the gospel, the starting point of any life and growth and thriving is not giving love when it comes to us. It's actually receiving love. Receiving love from God and from each other. And the root problem that, 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 that drives us to desperation, that drives us to feel alone, that drives us to isolation, that fuels our self-destructive tendencies, whatever they may be, all comes back to whether or not we are willing to receive love from someone else. Peckham goes on, he writes, after the flood, humans rebelled and rejected God's promises at Babel. And then he cites Romans 5, saying, those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness. The point of the gospel that Peckham is highlighting here, and that is just blowing my mind, is the point of the gospel is to teach us how to receive love. From God, when we're in a world that is continually trying to to persuade us that love does not exist, that there is no such thing as love, and that we have to depend on ourselves and rely on ourselves for everything, we remind ourselves of the gospel story because it is a beautiful, clear example of relying on someone else, receiving love from God for no Merit or wisdom or strength of our own. Going back to the, the key text, 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. In fact, I want to I read more of this, this same passage again. 1 John 4, 14 through 19. In 14, it's saying, We have seen and testified ...that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. We've seen it. We testify. If we acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in us. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. The reason we come together and we tell this story of what Jesus has done... ...over and over and over again is so that we will not forget... So that we will be able to see, we'll be able to acknowledge, we'll be able to know and rely on the love that God has for us. So, the solution to this problem that is bringing us to the end of our rope is to receive God's love. The purpose of the gospel is to persuade us of God's genuine love for you and for me, no matter what we've done. Jesus came, God became human, spent his life on earth with us, gave his life for us, and asked for nothing before doing that. Peckham goes on, getting a little more theological, we often like to think about the uh, judgment connotations of Christian theology and it can be easy to fall into this idea that if I don't get something right, I'm going to be in trouble. If I don't contribute something to this relationship, I'm going to uh, be judged. But Peckham here writes, the only reason anyone will be lost is because they reject God's grace offered freely to anyone. The only unpardonable sin is to finally reject and cut yourself off from the work of the Holy Spirit. If you have even the smallest desire to be with God, you have not done this yet. I want to close by sharing a story of my recent experience. Um, The other reason I was gone for the last uh, almost month was uh, because I went with my mom and with some uh, new friends to uh, trek through Nepal to go to base camp at Mount Everest. Uh, it was a two and a half week or so trek. Um, we, uh, we did several high passes along the way and we did... The, the most difficult thing was not actually getting to Everest base camp. The most difficult thing we did was summiting a nearby mountain called Mount Lobache. Uh, This mountain is 20,000 feet uh, elevation. By far higher than like, I think the highest mountain I had done before this was like 11,000 feet or something. So this is like double anything I've done before. And I I was excited because I knew this would be an opportunity to test my limits and to uh, kind kind of prove something about myself. I thought I would come away with a change in my identity, knowing something about myself more confident than I was before. I was even thinking as we were, as I, as we were hiking, like, okay, how can I tie this into a sermon in Advent Hope when I get back? <laughs> and uh, this, uh, see, see I, I, when I was a kid, I had asthma. And so part of my identity, uh, and I don't suffer from asthma symptoms anymore, um, but I use the inhaler, nebulizer, all of that, And uh, I've always sort of had this identity, this personal idea that I'm not very good at taking in air. Like, swimming is a little bit intimidating to me. Running, I don't love any cardio stuff. It's like, like I just have this idea that my lungs are weak. Uh, And so I thought, okay, this will be an opportunity for me to really test and maybe change my identity in this regard. Uh, And so as we were hiking up the mountain, I was excited. I was feeling pretty good. it was tough. It was one of those situations where you take a step and you breathe, and then you take another step and you breathe. I don't know if any of you have seen the, uh, well, yeah, Lord of the Rings. Um, there's a, <laughs> have any of you seen that obscure film? Um, there's a uh, remake of it on YouTube, 12 hours long, where there, there's one scene where the, uh, the hobbits are leaving the shire, and I think it's Sam looks at Frodo, and he's like, one more step, and it's the furthest I've ever been from the Shire. Uh, and, and, and anyways, on YouTube, some person remade it where every single time Sam took a step, it cut back to that scene, and it's said, <laughs> <laughs> one more step. Anyways, so I made a two-hour movie, 12 hours. Um, but anyways, I, I watched more of that than I should have, <laughs> more of that 12 hours. Um, so I was telling myself with every step, you know, one more step and it's the highest I've ever been. One more step is the highest I've ever been. And I was feeling good. I made it to the top. Uh, summited this 20,000 foot summit. Thank you. It was, it was wild. Um, and I was exhausted, but I was like feeling okay. And I was like, wow, maybe, maybe my identity can change. Maybe my lungs are better than I thought they were. Um, and then on the way down... I started to not feel so good. started to feel a little nauseous, had to take some breaks, had to sit. Everyone was waiting for me. I was the last one in the group. Uh, And I was like, shucks, there goes my beautiful sermon illustration about a new identity in Christ. Um, And uh, eventually, we got down. We had started hiking at 1 a.m. to get to the summit we got back down to our high camp at around 3 p.m. Uh, unfortunately, we weren't stopping at high camp. We had another three or four hour hike to go to where we were going to spend the night, and everyone wanted to get there before sundown. Uh, and so we had a quick, a quick dinner, packed up our stuff, and kept hiking. And I, the rest helped a little bit, but I ultimately was not doing good. I was in the back, I was holding the group up, the sun set, fog rolled in. It was like almost a full moon, but there was no light. It was dark. We had to pull out our little lights, and we were just trudging along. I was in the back, slowest one of all. The guide was like right next to me because, you know, they wouldn't leave anyone behind. But it was just the two of us in the back. Everyone else was up. I couldn't even see them. They were so far ahead in the dark. Um, and I was just not feeling good. I was sad, I was like leaving, I was pulling everyone back, slowing us down, we could have been there um, sooner. Um, I was at my wits end, you know, pushing myself as hard as I could go and it wasn't enough. And then that's when the the most beautiful thing happened to me of the trip and uh, honestly like one of the most beautiful things that's happened to me in years. Um, Everyone came back to where I was, all the other hikers. And again, these are people that I had had met just for that trip. So, two weeks before. They all came back. Um, One of them offered to carry my backpack. Another one gave me some candy to help my blood sugar. Uh, Another one, we had been talking about how much we loved the Greatest Showman soundtrack and she had a few of the songs downloaded on her phone. So she was playing Rewrite the Stars on her phone. And and, and we kept going. And I was just there, silently, like, you know, totally relieved now of my burdens, just walking. I was, I was weeping, trying to hide it from them, but, but I was in tears. And we also, we had, I couldn't hide it well. We were using these like hand warmers in our gloves and I had some cheap ones that have like charcoal in them and it gets on your hands. And so I was wiping my tear and I was just <laughs> charcoal all over my face. Um, and like that, for the last half hour or so of the hike, um, we, we made it finally to uh, the... The site where we were resting uh, and spending the night. Yeah. To me, that is like the perfect example of the gospel, of our role as a church, and of what God is doing for us. Um, when we're at our wit's end, when we feel like we're drawing from an empty barrel, we don't have anything to uh, to keep us going. God is there, ready. To, to give us more love uh, if we'll only receive when people around us are in that situation and maybe, maybe we have a little more energy we can be the ones that God is pouring that love through to me this story is kind of the full circle of the Christian faith from the baby stages where you just need to receive, to receive God's love, to recognize God's love, to receive love from other people, to you know maybe some of the, the more mature or just fully grown stages where, where you can give back and, and love. We're all going through pain, suffering. Sometimes it's hard to believe love is possible, especially if you're in a situation where you're not experiencing it, you're not receiving it. And I don't want to pile burdens on anyone, but sometimes we like to do things. We like to have a task. And if you want a task, then I think this is the most worthy one, to, to pour love back into other people, whether it's in personal relationships or through public action. Cornell West says, Justice is what love looks like in public. But no matter what we're doing, no matter how you're loving the people around you, no matter how you are giving back, the ultimate point of the gospel is to just continually remind us that God started it all by loving us first. The point of the gospel is to help us believe and learn how to receive love. As 1 John 4:19 says, We love because he first loved us.